nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to a Sunday night edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are recording this at nearly 1 a.m. Madrid time and we're going to break down a game that was very eventful for nil-nil and a game that was a roller coaster of sorts And because it, it was a game that Real Madrid played pretty well in, could not finish their chances, nearly conceded a couple times at the end and dropped two points and Joining me to make sense of it all is a man who is just coming back from the Bernabeu. He got on the Metro after Carlo Ancelotti's press conference, or maybe after Alguacil's press conference. I think that one came after and hopped on the Metro and is home now in his cozy living room in Madrid. And we're going to break it down. Ewan, how you doing, man? Yeah, good. You say cozy. Um, let's, let's see. Are we going to talk about the weather first? My goodness, it's cold. <laughs> Well, I people was, think Spain just never gets cold, but in the middle of January, late January, cold. February in Madrid, it's like zero degrees. I Especially know in, in open air like that. Yeah, I know you're in Canada, so you know you're just, ah zero degrees. Uh, you know, look at <laughs> look at the t-shirts, but you know, for for people in Madrid, this was this is about as cold as the Bernabeu gets. Courtois was even complaining about it. I saw that we we had a balmy three degrees here in Canada. <laughs> it was it was magical, oh, magical warmer. weather. So I was thinking about you this whole time because. The comms on ESPN were talking about how cold it is in Madrid. And then Courtois was talking about it after the game. And I was like, I wonder if Ewan's suffering right now. Does he have his gloves on? Is Are the heaters working? What's going on? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, so there's a new press area in the in the Bernabeu since they returned after the World Cup. Um, they've opened the brand new, new press area, um, which is a bit higher up. Nothing really works. Um, the Wi-Fi doesn't really work. And actually, that was maybe a blessing because... The fact the Wi-Fi didn't work meant I wasn't actually typing as much during the game as as I normally do. I normally try to get the, the free questions, free answers thing up on full time, but there was no way because there's no Wi-Fi. So actually I could keep my hands in my pockets most of the game, but whenever I did uh, bring them out to type a note, just so many typos, you know, the fingers, <laughs> they don't really work. You just look up at what you've written. There's just a bunch of red squiggles um, because it's <laughs> too cold to coordinate. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Pretty cold, um, but yeah, um, the football was was at least something. It wasn't uh, a poor game. That's the worst one. It's a terrible game and it's cold, which actually seems to coincide. There's been, a, I think, a lot of cold Bernabeu, January, February, uh, Real Madrid games where the team don't actually play um, that much better. But um, at least this one, as much as it was a nil-nil, anyone that just looks at the score might think, oh, what a dud. No, no, this was, this was good fun. Second versus third in La Liga and, and they put on the show. I think I told you this maybe last time. I, I can't remember, but uh, my first experience uh, as press at the at Vallecas, mm. it's in a little room indoor with the window. Yeah, I was like, this is really weird, but I kind of appreciated it because there was no wind, and that was December. I think it was pretty cold then too. I had a question though. What is the? How much is the? What is the view like? Because I don't know if I've ever been up that high, so I'm curious to know mm. what that experience is like. Is it? Is it harder to watch the game 
Yeah, I mean, like to put it one way, pretty much everything about the new press area is worse than before. Except Basically for the because chairs at, in the press conference room. In the press conference room, new comfy chairs. Uh, the new chairs in the new press area, worse. Everything's kind of worse. But that's because the press area before was it was a privileged position. It was right on the fifth floor of the Bernabeu. Um, really good view. Uh, like for most European stadiums, the press area isn't situated as, as good as the old Bernabeu one was. And that's why they moved it to, to make some VIP seats there. So um, now it's on the eighth floor. Um, so I don't know, I would say maybe 30 to 40 metres uh, higher up. So yeah, of course, it's, um, yeah, it really is um, harder to see uh, see what's going on. Um, you're looking at the kind of uh, the numbers on the back of the shirts, you know, <laughs> maybe it's just my eyesight, but sometimes you're like, there was one point I was like, is Benzema coming short for a, for a corner? And I was like, oh no, that's not a nine, that's an eight, that's gross. It's... Um, yeah, um, well, they've they've moved us up to the out of the way, um, and um, some lucky people paying who knows how much um, will take the seats that um, we used to sit on. <laughs> ah, do what you got to do, Florentino, to make more mm-hmm. money. The journalists will pay the price. We'll he's suffer. got vend- he's got vending machines in there as well, and then you press area. You now got to pay I don't know a euro for your coffee, which many people did tonight to keep warm. So you know the journalists, cold hands. There's no coffee. more free drinks. Free water, but I think that's it. Um, now there's vending machines. They used so, to um, literally give free hot chocolate. Yeah, yeah. I you did the- chocolate, coffee. Yeah, now water for sure still. Um, and then yeah, vending machines. So I guess the journalists are paying for the stadium reconstruction or, um, you know, um, some some of these new contracts that are coming. <laughs> I I will coffee not by coffee. I will now forever appreciate the Stanford bench press experience. It's mm. literally on the field behind the bench. You can hear the coaches talk. There's a buffet. There's like chefs cutting roast beef. There's salad, unlimited salad. Anyways, let's talk about football. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to get your perspective on this one. I don't, there's so many places we could start. I just want to say this. I think this was a good performance. I think that my hunch, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times with my hunch and my predictions. I think we'll look back on this game and, and think that was a step in the right direction. And I, I know that a lot of Maradistas will scream at me hearing this saying, oh, our expectations are much higher at Real Madrid. We don't expect, we don't, we don't do these nil-nils. We can't, we can't be this bad at finishing. All I'm saying is that these guys are humans not robots i think in most if you replay this nine times out of ten you're up one nothing at least and when the subs come in i think the chance creation and the pressing was great i love what i saw for the majority of that game carlos said after the game that we played great from one to 90 i, I don't know if i would take it that far i think it was maybe one until 75 or whenever the subs were made to be quite honest but we'll get to that but i thought it was a, a good performance and i and i looked at this and i said I just, the whole point of looking at, you know, looking at football with a process-oriented lens rather than a results-based lens is that not to say that process is more important than results, but you have to look at the process and say, okay, and look at this game and say, okay, we created chances in this game and we, I barely have any notes on Rudiger, Militao, 
any notes I have on Militao are generally because he was getting in the offensive third. And Courtois only had a, a few saves to make. The fact that we we can complain about, you know, the 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 lack of offensive production in terms of goals. We also conceded very little chances, and that's because we were defending high up the pitch. I think it's a really great thing if we don't have notes on Rudiger and Courtois. I think it was a step in the right direction because we generate more chances than we usually do. And that's just math. At some point, these shots will go in. And if you're creating more opportunities, I think you just got to keep going at it. And, I, and, I, and I'm glad Carlo acknowledged that part of it after the game. I think if you just keep going this route, I think it's a good sign. Now, there is a caveat that we also see that we're missing a lot of good players. They they also made this game a little bit more open than they probably should have. They got away with some things. Missing two really key players in Merino and um, Silva. And Sadiq, who, of course, just has, hasn't played, unfortunately. But, yeah, I'm curious to know where you're, where you, where, what your thoughts are on, the, on their performance. And we can get into the nitty-gritty in a bit. But what, what was your overall takeaway? Yeah, I totally agree. This was this was a good performance. You said that, Ancelotti said that after the game. And you could tell he was really proud about this one. You know, he, d- he doesn't normally sort of um, describe the performance in, you know, this was good, this was bad. He talks about more specific things, but he just, like you said, one to 19 minutes, he mentioned, he, he said just in general, this was a good performance. And he said this line a couple of times as if he really wanted this one to stick was, we didn't let Real Sofidad play the way they normally play. As in, I think what he meant by that is Real Sofidad are a really good team. And when they play the way they play, they can destroy a lot of teams. And I think Angelotti must have made a point of this before the game to his players. Like, we cannot get destroyed the same way that they score their goals week in, week out. And the fact that they managed to cut that out and stop that, really, whenever Real Sofidad won the ball back, they have so many good players in the midfield that can take one or two touches, get out of tight spaces. And that happened a lot of times. You know, it looked like one player was about to uh, evade a tackle, but then there was someone else from Real Madrid right there to stop them getting the counter-attack going. So um, Real did, you could see it almost just like from the really high up view, there were so many chances that Real Sofidad had where it looked like the counter-attack was on, Sorloff made an amazing run, and before they could be found, someone was there to, to pinch the ball. So I think Ancelotti was really proud of the way that they just didn't let Real Sofidad dictate this game. Um, and this is a thing we have to keep in mind, you mentioned that they had some players out. Real Madrid obviously did too. Real Sofia had a third-place team in La Liga. You know, they're there for a reason. And imagine, put it this way, some of the other years in previous years when Atletico Madrid finished third or some of the years when Barcelona finished third, would a nil-nil, with a draw at home against Atletico or Barcelona when you dominated and you just didn't take your chances, would that be viewed as a good result? Absolutely. So this year, the third best team in La Liga isn't Atletico. They're at least fourth. So you have to consider that Real Sofia are going to take a lot of points off a lot of teams. It's a shame for Real Madrid that um, Real Sofia hosted Barcelona really at the start of the season before they got going, lost that game 4-1. But they can give Barcelona a game at the Camp Nou next time. They just did in the Cup, only lost 1-0 with 10 men. So... um, this might be viewed as two drop points, but when you consider this is the third best team in the country and they're going to take a lot of points off a lot of teams and be up there, I think, by the end of the season, maybe this isn't a, a bad result. And if you just look at the performance, as Ancelotti said, it was one of the best of the season. I, I also think to the to the point you made about Real Sociedad, um, they're obviously really good. Their form up until now has been incredible for, what, what two 
two, three months now. And I, I do think it's important to state that we didn't let them play the way they want to play. And I don't, I think it's also important to state that this wasn't them just, just, just a matter of missing players and then changing the way they play. I think to an extent they had to change, tweak it a little bit, but they tried to, they tried to press, they tried to bring the line high. You saw that the chances we had in the first half were not against a low block team. Those are passes over the top, exploiting the high line, getting the ball to Vinicius, carrying the ball really quick through their lines. These guys were not playing a deep, compact defensive block. They tried to bring the game to us. And I, I think the fact that we were winning the ball in those key areas made a difference. And you mentioned um, you mentioned some of that, at the pressing and stuff. I think to expand on that point, I was really impressed with our counter press specifically. I, I think our press... When 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 Real Sociedad that were building up from the back was okay and not even that great, but it's our counter press that was really incredible. And in, in particular, I want to highlight one player. Although there were many who were who were winning the ball back really quickly, like Rodrigo, like Fede, like Cruz. Cruz had a couple of incredible ones. Militao getting up the field. I don't know. I don't know how he got there, especially in the second half. But the one that really stood out to me in that aspect was Ceballos. Yeah, it's so weird to me. I don't know how he does it. Because it felt like no matter where we lost the ball, it was him that would just pop up on wherever we lost it and win it back immediately. And I, on some level, I can understand subbing him because I don't know if it's humanly possible for him to sustain that amount of energy that he puts out on a 90-minute basis. At the same time, you really saw the deflation when he came out, I think, because he was such a key contributor both to winning the ball up the field but also getting it up the field as, as soon as he got it. Like, just getting the ball into the box, or if he couldn't, he would pass it immediately and then move into space where he could progress the ball. I think he's been a revelation in the last few games. This is really incredible. Do you remember Ewan when he was with Betis, how good he was and how sought after he was? Doesn't this remind you of that version of him? Yeah, I remember that somewhere where it was Madrid and Barca fighting to um to get him and that was the main transfer story this was like the future of the spain national team fighting to get him and um his career hasn't quite panned out the way it was but you know this reminds me of of that sabias but also not because some of the stuff he's doing is not really what he was known for at, at betis he was known for what he did on the ball how he conducted their attack what you're talking about is how he wins the ball back and then gets play going and it's absolutely that is it's the winning those second balls and he always just I think you kind of alluded to it. He always just seems to know where the ball is going to be. And um, kind of listen to you talk there. Kind of reminded me, do you remember in the last dance, they're doing the bit on Dennis Rodman and they're talking about how he would always get rebounds. He'd always know where to be. And basically like, they would just practice him like throwing a basketball off like obscure like surfaces, like throw a basketball at a chair and see where it goes because you can't predict where it's going to bounce when it hits a point, when it hits a soft bit, when it hits a hard bit. And he would just, be able to sort of anticipate where we go. I don't know how Ceballos does it, but he just always kind of seems to understand the way a player jumps up for a ball to head it. He kind of has a sense of how that ball is going to come down and where and how to take it. And that's been more important, I think, than anything he's done on the ball, partly because he wouldn't be on the ball as much if he wasn't doing that. So the Ceballos revelation is an interesting one to me because I think everyone got carried away when he came on against Villarreal. He had that half hour. He had, it reminded me of the, and I think we've spoken about this, the Hazard uh, game against Celtic away 
where the stats were amazing. You know, Hazard had a goal, assist, a pre-assist. Ceballos basically did the same thing. He had a goal, assist, and his cross uh, provoked the one of the other goals. Everyone kind of got blown away by those stats, and I think he deserved another opportunity because of his impact off the bench in that way. But what he's done in the game since then hasn't really been similar to what he did against Villarreal. That was a very different kind of game, a comeback. What he has done is control the midfield, win the ball back, pass, not crazy passes, not driving forward all the time, making the right pass, letting the other players around him. Um, and remember, when he's playing alongside Vinicius, Benzema, Rodrigo, Asensio, Valverde, when he's playing in midfield, Ceballos knows that he's got options alongside him. And um, he's just kind of evolved, I think, from the midfielder he was at Real Betis and even from the uh, midfielder he was in that crazy half hour at Villarreal. The... I think it's also really impressive that he just has an understanding with his teammates too. It's not something you see too often with mm-hmm. a player who hasn't played that much in the last two years or so. He hasn't been at least he hasn't been on the on the playing field of yeah. you know in terms of but minutes. It's, got, it's like, the training. He's he's training with these guys every single day, and and that's something you know he has something that if they were to go and buy a replacement, some attractive name on the market. He has something that those players won't have, which is what you're saying. Training at Valdebebas with these players every day for the past few years, even if he's not always been um, on the pitch with them. I asked this to Lucas on Friday on the podcast. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think as the season goes on, as it progresses, we're slipping away from the idea slowly of Cruz and Modric both being here next season? Um, it's interesting you say we I wonder if it's they uh, I think at the World Cup pause both of them I think were ready to renew but I think the team as a whole is moving away from them a little bit I think with Modric it's, we have to remember he went far in the World Cup he played as many games as you could possibly play up to the third place playoff um, and Jotis even said Cruz and Modric are different cases Cruz didn't go to the World Cup Modric did Um they're both being rested, rotated for different reasons. But yeah, they're the young players are coming through. Even Valverde as a as a midfielder is um is taking one of their spots. And that's not really because of Valverde, but actually because of Rodrigo in a roundabout way is kind of taking one of Modric or Cruz's uh, spots. And yeah, if they really go the rest of the season not playing much, coming on, I think it was minute 60, uh, 76, this game that Modric comes on. If they keep going the rest of the season like that they might consider, is this worth it? We've won everything. We have no reason to say other than we love playing football and we're going to retire at Real Madrid. And I think that's the question. Not so much like, you know, does the team need them? Does the team start to move away from them? If Antotti moves away from them too much, they might consider retiring. But you also have the perfect coach for that situation because Antotti is, he's not just a man manager. This is what one of his labels always is, but he is a man manager and he's a squad and club manager too. And he's the kind of guy that if Modric and Kroos need to play some more minutes to be able to renew, he's the kind of guy that knows all these behind the scene uh, situations. And I think, um, yeah, but it's a, it's a tightrope because you do risk uh, leaving them out in the cold too much, literally. And um, they, they might decide to, to, to hang it up. They, they definitely are two different cases, but, you know, Mordred strikes me as the type of figure who loves playing it so much that if he can still play at whatever 
level in the squad, he'll stick around, even if it's not in the starting role. Cruz, I feel, is more of the kind of guy like I want to go out on top and not linger around, you know, as a squad player. I mean, I that's just uh, again, that's not no. I mean, you look at it's you look just... at their you look at their ages and the fact we're talking about them in the same breath as in they're in the same stage of their career. Yeah, kind of not. shows you it because Cruz is already you know like four years younger. So, um, you know, it's we already know that um, Cruz has already caught up to Modric in the sense of discussing retirement at the same time. He might overtake him and, and Cruz might actually retire first. So part of the reason I asked that question too <clears> is that I mentioned this, uh, Matt and I were talking, but I also mentioned this on Twitter the other day that I think we have enough data now that says when you pair Cruz and Mordic together, it's not necessarily your best midfield pairing in terms of what, especially if you do what you want to do today, which is aggressive, counter-pressing and control in the final third. The energy... And and Fede, this was Fede's best game during the after since the World Cup. It was nice to see Fede rejuvenated and and back playing with that kind of fire. He had four shots today before he was subbed out. I mean that was just mm-hmm. and I think three key passes. I have to look at it again, which was a game high. But he looked he looked good again. And I think just the fact that you had that younger dynamic midfield meant you could play a different style of football. And. I also think if you're going to put Cruz as the single pivot, this is the, this is the kind of way to do it. He's not meant to play a single pivot where he's playing in a deep block, chasing people around. This is how you do it. This is how like you control in the game. He barely misplaced the pass. I think he had 97% by the end of it. He didn't misplace the uh, pass until the second half. This is the way to do it. But then you can kind of see the dynamic change when you put Mordic and Cruz together. And I, and I think like, Look, at some point you got to make subs. I'm not going to necessarily say it was they were bad subs to make. I think any team in the world would love to bring on Luka Modric in the second half. I think Asensio had one really nice pass. But there's it's very clear also that the game, the tempo slowed down for Real Madrid when Ceballos and Valverde came out. And at, at some point maybe Ceballos just couldn't sustain or Fede couldn't. That's more for Carlos to know, not me. But I think there is an argument to be made that maybe you, you, even though Ceballos was having, um, or sorry, even though Cruz was having a good game, maybe he's the one you bring out for Modric because of this. Because I think the tempo just slows down a little bit too much. Energy slows down a little bit too much when you have those two on the field. So I, I just kind of feel like right now, because we talked about Ceballos, the other one, Kamavinga again, even though he's not playing in his best position, was, was really good. These are the two guys I, I wrote about this week too. Those two are really good again uh, today. Yeah. Do you think the dynamic just kind of changed after the subs? Yeah, so just to pick up a couple of things you, you said there, you know, the, the Cruz is a single pivot. Antotti spoke about this a couple of weeks ago in the press conference and said his, putting it simply, uh, when Real Madrid are playing a game where they expect to have control, he wants Cruz as a single pivot. And when they're playing a game when they expect a lot of defending, it wants Camavinga. The, right. This Real Sofidad, I think this is why Angelotti was so nervous and so keen to stop them playing their game. Real Sofidad are the kind of team you have to defend a lot. But because of injuries, Camavinga was needed at left back. So Cruz had to mm. play there. But I don't think this was Angelotti's ideal choice, a Cruz single pivot for Real Sofidad. So that's um that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing which kind of goes with this is we don't have too many. We're forgetting about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, Modric and Cruz in January together has not yeah. worked, but Modric, Cruz, and too many 
was working quite okay the first half of the season. So all the poor, all the poor Modric and Cruz performances we've seen since the World Cup basically have been without Germany, which is just um, something to keep in mind. And yeah, again, going then to the substitutions, it kind of comes back to what I'm saying. It is the injuries, even though their injuries mostly at fullback, they do play a part because that was taking Camavinga away from the midfield. Uh, and there just weren't so many options. And Antelotti said this in the press conference, if you go on on Manager Madrid, you'll see all the all the quotes. But this was how he explained it was, we were playing so well, such a good game. I didn't want to change anything because we were playing so well, but we had to make changes just because of tired legs, just for freshness. So the fact he said that, I mean, I think he, he was almost making the point that he wouldn't have made a single sub um, tactically if he didn't have to, because he was absolutely delighted with how it was going tactically. But he had to change some players for fresh legs. And I guess when he says that, that must mean that the players who were the tiredest were the ones who came off. So um, I guess that explains it. And then when you look at the options who could have come on, the fact that Camavinga, the versatile player who normally comes on, was playing left back and doing so well there, you wouldn't want to move him mid-game. It kind of all just comes back weirdly to the fact that Carvajal, Lucas, Alaba, Mondi were all injured. It kind of dictated today's midfield in a weird way. Yeah, I, I also do wonder the assessment and the evaluation of who's tired and who's not. Is it predetermined? Is it, I mean, obviously they're they're right there. They can kind of see things. They can even communicate to each other. But sometimes subs are predetermined and even pre-scheduled. I mean, we, we've heard Ancelotti and Zidane both talk about that aspect of it before. In, and that's sometimes in consultation with Pintus, obviously, or how that's determined, or if it's just a kind of a game-to-game thing with regards to today where they just they just assessed that they were more tired and they had to come off because Fede and Ceballos were really important in this game um I want to talk about Vinicius mm-hmm. a guy who has been heavily criticized today for his lack of finishing today? where do you stand today even more so I'd say but yeah all season mm-hmm. Uh, for the lack, I mean, I mean, there weren't that many shots of his that were like, I wouldn't. There was one that he kind of just hit wide in the first half that I think was the the best chance. You know, I don't know exactly the xG and all these kind of things, but just from you know sitting up in the in the skies there, the the chance that um, kind of struck me as as this should be a goal was the one in the first half. And it missed by just a little bit, you know. Yeah. I've said this a a bunch of times in the podcast. The thing I hate the most is when commentators say, oh, he needs to hit the target there. Yeah, it's like easy to just hit it right to the goalkeeper's chest. If you want to actually score, you do need to aim for the corners. And if you aim for the corners, you might miss. So that one was was really close. And then there was a few in the second half, but I don't think any of them were absolutely clear. And he created so much, second half especially, coming inside, linking up with Camavinga, which I think we'll talk about. He did so much that I don't think the finishing was was too poor in this one. And, um, you know, even though he had that hot streak last season, I think we all know finishing isn't his strong point. And when you have Benzema alongside and other players, normally it doesn't have to be. So, um, yeah, I'm not... Maybe you criticise Vinicius for that, but I don't know why people are starting to criticise him for that today. I mean, this is this is what Vinicius is. This was... Today's performance was a normal Vinicius performance maybe even a little bit above his average. So for those who are watching on YouTube, I I just pulled up the XG here on the share screen. The two, uh, I think that that he was most criticized for is this one. 
One is the one I think you mentioned in the first half. Yeah, the thirteenth minute. The one. But that's the one that rolls just wide. Like he kind of. Well, this is he, the one where he just not really not makes Ihan um, mm. Munoz too, and then yeah. gets into that channel. I think right. Yeah. Um, and then the second one is the one where he has a really nice touch to get past two men and then gets into this position. He tries to chip Ramiro and Ramiro saves it and it goes over the bar. So I, I, I guess just some thoughts on this. And you mentioned some, he had, he had nine completed dribbles tonight, which is an insane number. <laughs> you mentioned that this is a classic Vinicius performance. Uh, I thought, okay, so this is one thing I want to say about Vinicius that I think a lot of people miss when they criticize him is that he creates like 90 five percent of the chances he misses like that like most players can't even get to those positions or create them to begin with and then he gets criticized for missing it rather than praise for getting getting the team or himself in that position now i'm not saying it's perfect i think his his decision making has been pretty poor this season but he's also done a lot of good things this is where i stand on it can he improve yeah we i think we do have to also acknowledge that ramiro made a couple good saves Mm -hmm. um I don't know if people fully appreciate enough how good Vinicius actually is and how important it is to have players who can just create that stuff, like a high volume of it. It's not easy to have that kind of player. In world football, Like these are the most sought-after players, the players who can break lines and create out of nothing. And he does that. I think eventually he'll start scoring. And I think he'll come good. I think last season was not an anomaly. I think he obviously improved from two years ago with regards to his finishing last season. And I think some of the stuff he's missing now is down to bad luck. That's my assessment of it. I just don't, I don't think the math adds up that he, he won't eventually start scoring. He's, he's getting enough chances. He's, he's dribbling well enough to get himself into good positions to score. Again, I'm not, gonna give him a pass i'm not saying he can't improve i think he can but i do think some of the some of this is a little bit over the top the way we we criticize um his his lack of finish because i think do think that some of this finishing stuff like strikers go in hot and cold streaks all the time unless you're an absolute freak like erling holland or Lionel messi i mean look even cristiano ronaldo went through big slumps even during his peak um and he he rebounded and and, and came good i think vinicius will will come good admittedly like he's not scoring the way he was last season but i think he'll he'll come good that's that's my my prediction no i totally agree i think he absolutely is a streaky player you know the players who go on these streaks tend to be players who really need the confidence and whatever and we if there's one thing we know about vinicius is that he's an emotional player you know um Ancelotti says every second press conference he needs to focus he's you see him in the stadium he's often not focused He's, you know, getting the crowd going. He did that a couple of times tonight. He doesn't get a free kick. He, you know, moans about it and laments it for a good minute, whatever. We know he's an emotional player and emotional players are the players who, when they score one or two, they feel good. They feel like they're the best player in the world and they keep scoring them. And when they've not scored for a while, when they get frustrated, when things aren't going their way, they're the kind of player that have a little second of hesitation before the shoot. And we saw that last season, even when we had that famous comment from, from Ancelotti, um, you know, I've told him to just take two touches. The reason that became such a thing, like, ah, Ancelotti's cured Vinicius, 
it was because he was scoring so many goals in a row, but I think the reason he was shooting so much quicker and uh, and so decisively wasn't just Ancelotti, it was that he felt good, he felt confident, he didn't need that extra touch. Um, so once he gets one or two, I think he'll um, get that back. I really thought after scoring against the Derby, even though, you know, Atletico pretty much, you know, lit up in green and pointed the way to goal and um, one of the easiest goals he's scored in his life, I thought that might be a catalyst for him to come and uh, take a goal in this game. And it very, very nearly did. It's a game of fine margins. And you imagine he scores that Atletico goal, which means so much to him. One of the ones today, you know, goes just inside the post or just over Ramiro's hand. And suddenly he's got two and two games, two and three days, and and that could be him off. So hopefully this doesn't put him off too much, the fact he didn't finish anything today because he was doing everything else right. And I think once he gets one or two in a short period of time, um, that'll be deadly like it was last season. Um, also, the one-two touch thing, I think he pretty well abided by that today, right? I can't think of a case yeah. where he was taking too many touches to shoot today. It no, apart from when he was too far away from goal um, and had to get a bit closer. Yeah. Um, no, I really, um, the technique, like I said, with that one that went just past the post, I really can't criticize that technique. Like, that's what you should be doing is aiming for the, the far corner there because, okay, there's other, maybe the other corner too, but aiming for that corner is better than just hitting it in hope and, you know, it goes straight over Miro and, and is saved. You know, it's at least you're, um, beating the goalkeeper and almost almost squeezing it into the far post. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll be fine. He's, I think we've kind of come to this conclusion. He's a streaky player and once he gets one or two, I think he could be, he could be off. So, two of my favorite things to read after a game. One is your three questions, three answers article. The other one is Sam's stats article after the game. Mm. I always learn new things. What did this they have? One, well, yours wasn't posted yet, but um, no. this is some crazy stuff from Sam. I mean, I, I think this one's if you had to guess how many times Alex Ramiro, Real Sociedad's goalkeeper, mm-hmm. has has saved as many shots as he did today, how many times has he done that in his career? Oof. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many saves it was in the end, like but uh, big saves there was a few. Um it was I uh, can't see the number. But anyways, the answer is zero. Today is the most he's ever saved in one La Liga match. Amazing. So this is kind of, um, I think people kind of ignore this stuff when they, when they mm-hmm. and this is, the, this is the other crazy one. And I think it's just hilarious and ironic because I thought we played well and I want us to continue playing like this. This is the first time Real Madrid have failed to score this season. Mm-hmm. And there was a the managing Madrid Twitter account put out a, a half joke on Twitter saying that classic Real Madrid is scoring five goals from an XG of 0.01, but then scoring zero goals from an XG of 0.10. But I also do want to point out the XG wasn't nearly as high as I thought it was. It was only 1.28. It, it was a high volume of chances, but the, the only real clear-cut ones, there was really only a couple. But a lot of good attacking yeah. play basically a lot of dangerous balls into the box that actually don't end up showing on xg because there wasn't maybe a shot or you know yeah yeah um i thought we should talk about rodrigo i thought Mm -hmm. he was really good tonight what was your assessment of his role in his performance i mean excited for him that he got the start he deserves that he's deserved for a few weeks now 
Um, and it's, it makes such a difference to Vinicius in one way. Part of the reason Vinicius had so much pace is because you can't really ignore the other side as much as you can with certain players who start there, um, whether it's Fede or Asensio for different reasons. And that just opened up the whole thing. And um, both of them combining well with, with Benzema. Benzema, you know, not his best game, not his most evolved game, but um, he looked equally comfortable laying it off to Vinicius as to Rodrigo. And then Rodrigo drifting inside, doing what he does. And um, yeah, like another another good performance from him. And uh, I think, you know, <laughs> he's he, he should be a starter for Real Madrid, a bit like Camavinga probably should. But because he's so versatile, he kind of gets put everywhere else and and still doesn't have his own role. But um, yeah, another good one from him. I also, I also just like the fact that his link-up play all over the field was good. I mean, his pressing was good, but it seemed like he connected well with everyone. And we often talk about, like, you know, how can we help generate more offense? I think fluidity has been one answer in some way because some of Real Madrid's problems in the past few months and even last season were predictability. Um, whereas this was kind of more of that, if you want to take it all the way back to Isco and the Diamond, that was unpredictable to play against. He Rodrigo was going to the right, linking up with Fede, coming down the middle a lot. His heat map was actually mostly down the middle and or to the left side, even mm-hmm. overloading that left side with Vinicius and Benzema. He was linking up everywhere. His dribbling was incredible this game. Uh, ball carrying was great. I, I don't know how he got past some of those markers because it looked like there was no space to work with. Thought Rodrigo was very, very good. And I agree. I think he should he should be a starter. I like him in this role in particular because you mentioned Celtic a while ago on this podcast. One of the other fun performances of Real Madrid this season, Rodrigo was playing as um, in a central role that game as well. I think Benzema well, didn't play that game. That was the one difference. So it was um, more of a false nine role. But, you know, I, I in the more central roles, he's done really well. Yeah, I think that if it's the home one, that's one that Benzema did play, like the only game he played um, in the build-up okay, to the World maybe. Cup for some reason. The one that kind of meant nothing, but, you know, Carlo things. Um, but I don't know, like, so I guess you saw the the quote from pre-match in this one where Ancelotti was talking about a 4-2-3-1, mm. which has been asked a few times, yeah. basically because Kamavinga, to provide a bit of context to everyone, Kamavinga has been doing so well, so the question is what happens when Germany comes back? Could they play together? And then evolving on this in a Saturday's press conference was the idea, well, what if you have the double pivot and then a 4-2-3-1 and the middle of the three is Rodrigo? Um, and Ancelotti sort of, you know, listened to, yeah, you know, that could be, that could work, that could be his best position. And when you look at Rodrigo and the way that he can play right wing, play left wing, play as a centre forward, but always sort of drifts towards that number 10 role whenever he plays those roles, Maybe that is his right position. And I don't know, maybe he listened to the press conference and not the team talking thought that was what he was supposed to do today. But um, this is, you know, I think very much medium term, long term, next season term. But um, interesting that Carlo uh, Ancelotti is even sort of acknowledging these kind of questions from journalists, whereas Zidane would just sort of like shake his head and mutter in French. Well, <laughs> um I like that theoretical lineup of him in a 10, in a 4-2-3-1. If you put piece all things together, um, Carlo has talked about 4-2-3-1 and, and Rodrigo as a 10. He's also spoken about Kamavinga and Chiu Mei in double pivot. 
I think that could definitely work uh, in certain games. The Kamavinga thing, um, assuming that he'll go back to central midfield at some point, I kind of, I mean, as good as he's been, I hope it's not like one of those things where you just fast forward two, three years and all of a sudden he's like Lucas Vasquez. He has a new position. It's just a wing back. Now I hope that's not what happens, but I have to say I'm very impressed with him in that position, given that that's not as not even close to his natural position. And I, I, I do think we are, there's probably a game coming where he has to play that role against a team that, does try to put more pressure on you in that position. And I think about teams like as good as Barcelona, who if they see Kamavinga play there, they'll probably test a lot of runs in behind and they try to play that ball to him. I don't think Atletico Madrid in the last game, nor Real Sociedad in this game, really tested him in that situation. And I think there were a couple times where Elustondo once and, and Kubo another time in this game that were able to get behind them and and get past them with relative ease. So I do think those bigger tests are coming, but I have to be, I'm just really impressed with what he did offensively too in that position. I mean, his balls over the top and down the wing to Vinicius were great. He was doing these stepovers and passes, man, like he was Roberto Carlos putting crosses in. Are you, how amazed are you at that? This is an actual option for us. Like, amazed, but also kind of don't really give it too much importance because we have to consider the circumstances. Camavinga was playing left-back not because anyone felt like this. He was playing left-back because Mondi was out, Alaba was out, and Nacho were out. And they're the three options in this squad that only has one left-back ahead of him. And that's a position which pretty much, certainly in the summer, there should be a left-back signing. So... If we look at just this season's squad, Kamavinga is a fourth choice left back. Maybe after the way he's played in these, uh, you know, the second half against Atletico in this game here, maybe, maybe he's moved up from fourth to third. Maybe now you don't put Nacho there and you put Kamavinga if both Mondi and Alaba are out. But Alaba should be back for the Valencia game. So this is kind of a, it's a really interesting sort of wrinkle that Kamavinga is playing left back, but. I think it's really just such an extraordinary situation that I don't think we're going to see it all that much. Even with France, he played left back at France. Yeah, it's also an extraordinary situation. You go to a World Cup, you have seven games, you take two left backs, one of them gets injured, blows out his knee in the very first game. That changes your entire tournament. That's why Kamavinga was used there. That's why he came on in the World Cup finals. So um, I don't think it's uh, something we'll see all that much, to be honest. I think it's a, a sort of fluky set of circumstances that's put him there. But yeah, good to know that he has that option. Good to know he's um, so versatile that he can play um, left back. That makes you think maybe he could play right back if he had to. Um, the only thing I wonder is I just hope he doesn't get um, sold. Um, I was thinking about Saul oh. today. He scored for Atletico against Osasuna. I was just thinking, what, what, what a waste of a career. What a shame for him because when he came through, he was such a good midfielder. He... Coming through Atletico's academy, the goal against Bayern Munich, so many other things he did. He had two really good years, looked like a starter, but because he was just so good, so flexible, so versatile, he just got put absolutely everywhere. I think he played everywhere apart from goalkeeper for Atletico Madrid at some point. He definitely even played striker at some point. Because he was so versatile, he got moved around so much and 
it kind of just ruined his career. He never was able to grow into one position, went to Chelsea, they didn't know what to do with him. And you just hope that Camavinga's versatility, which is a positive, doesn't come back to haunt him because you don't want him to become the guy that is next man up for whenever you have your two guys at one position injured. Um, because he should be more than that. He should be, if not a starter in midfield, the second choice after Germany in midfield and not third choice left back, third choice right back, third choice this, that. So, yeah, let's yeah. hope it doesn't turn out that way. I I mean, yeah, that would be, the Saul case is pretty sad. I mean, uh, Simeone has a, a few of those where like everyone just has played every position. Yeah. Uh, I do, next. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that you see coaches do certain things and then other coaches look at it and be like, oh, I guess I can do that. Like, you know, this happened with Marco Llorente and then Lucho putting him at right back. Um, this has happened now with with Carlo seeing Kamavinga play left back with France. And like, I do you think, I feel like I already know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you think we would have seen this if Kamavinga never played left back with France? Hmm. I don't know, probably, probably not, but then also probably yes, because with this extraordinary situation, who else would you put? Um, oh, yeah, so I mean, I, you, you you have so many options. You could put Nacho there, you could put... No, but you can't, because Nacho's playing right back. Or you could promote Vinicius Tobias, there's things you can do. Yeah. There's I mean, Zola. <laughs> yeah. Well, Vinicius Tobias is a, is a Castilla player, and Ancelotti doesn't do Castilla players. Yeah. Uh, Audrey Zola and Ancelotti doesn't do Audrey Zola. So of the realistic options, and so in the press conference after this game, he was asked why not put someone like Vallejo, who at least is a defender, mm. and why put Camavinga, which I thought was interesting to actually get like more of a, a tactical response. And right. again, it's on the press conference notes. And he said, um, when you're playing on the same wing as Vinicius, you need someone who's comfortable coming inside because you can't just stay outside as mm. a left-sided fullback. And Camavinga, he said, was... Uh, was better for that. Um, I and guess. he did it well. Yeah. He did that part um, of it well, yeah. And I guess that's the thing with, with a more typical fullback, even someone who can, uh, who's more of a winger or whatever that you could put there, they they might not link as well with Finicius. And that's, I think, Camavinga, I think we all agree, had a great performance in this game. Part of it is because what he did allowed Finicius to do his thing. And they linked up so many times as well. I don't even know how many passes they played between the two of them and how many overlaps he did. So, um yeah, uh it's it's not just uh playing left back, it's who you're playing behind, um, which Antotti is one of the coaches that's um the biggest on this and, and it doesn't have to be symmetrical. He's he's okay with asymmetrical uh lineups with the left back and right back and left wing and right wing being a bit different, depending on who the wingers are. What do you gather from Kamavinka's own personal preference of playing there? Because it doesn't seem like that's what he. I think. Likes I think it's do. like. I think it's like Saul. Like all these players, he's so young. He's so keen. He's so ambitious. He's just happy to do whatever. You know, his. We said this last season. He's got the perfect personality. He's got his head screwed on. Um, he was happy last season coming off the bench in Champions League games. I think he's so young that he hasn't thought about this yet. But then, and I think we said the same of Rodrigo maybe two years ago, then you get to a point when you're 21, 22, 23, and you do need to be starting games. And that's when I think you want to know what your position is. You want to know who the coach is, what they ask of you. 
And if you have opportunities, I think when you're that young, when you're still, you know, teenager, 20, 21, maybe, you just do what the coach tells you. And and if you're humble enough, you you don't mind. And I think he fits that bill. So I think he's okay with it um, for now. Just happy to be getting minutes. But um, in the future, you can't just, um, you can't make them your emergency uh, solution for every single position. Um. You haven't published the three questions, three answers piece. No, yet. sitting sitting here waiting for some Wi-Fi, which now finally I have. So understandable. <laughs> I'm more I'm more asking because I'm curious to know if you can spoil anything uh, and and let us update, like give us one of them, one or two of those points, maybe on on the podcast. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give one kind of stat as well, um, and then something else actually that that was interesting. One one stat was that the last five times uh, Real Sociedad have come to play away at Real Madrid. They scored first um, at the Bernabeu mm. or or the De Stefano last year. Real Madrid turned it around one four one, but um, Real Sociedad got a couple of wins and a draw out of that. You know, this is not an easy team. Um, like we say, this year for the best team in Spain, they're not an easy team. But even historically, they're the kind of team, especially in the Imanol era, that has uh, frustrated Real Madrid. Like remember that epic four three Copa del Rey game uh, on the way to them winning that. So. Um, yeah, this time Real Madrid at least got the got the clean sheet. The other thing was our Real Sociedad uh, title contenders, which um, I think on this podcast I've kind of now just said every single thing Ancelotti said in the press conference. So you maybe don't have to read <laughs> those quotes after this. But the other question he was asked was, uh, are Real Sociedad in the title race? And he kind of paused for a bit, paused. And I think he was thinking, should I say this or is this rude? And then he said, they compete in every game, but I think it's too soon. Which kind of struck me as a bit odd, a bit, you know, um, the kind of thing they might want to print out and put on the on the dressing room walls next time they play Real Madrid. But um, I don't know. This is a good team. Like this is, you know, I think the thing is just that Barca and Real Madrid are so good so far ahead this season. But you look at the points, uh, Real Sociedad are, are picking up, and last season that would have been that would have put them pretty much right in it on top. And Ancelotti spoke about the points total as well. He said, you know, if you look at it, we basically have actually a little bit less points than we did this time last season. But the difference is this year, Barcelona are good. So, yeah, um, five points now and that's not nothing. But could all change this midweek. Real Madrid get a very terrible Valencia at home. And, uh, yeah, that Barcelona, never means anything. But, uh, yeah. Valencia away, but Valencia at home tends to be... Tends to be okay, but Mestalla is tough for Real Madrid always. But Betis away for Barcelona, that could be a, a tricky one um, one night before. So could all change again. And after those midweek games on Wednesday and Thursday, that's officially the halfway point of the season. Everyone's played 19 games. Diago, a seal point. Um, uh, just the press conference reminded me of that that thing that circulated after that Barca game where someone asked him, I think it was, if Zubi Mendy mm. is good enough to play for a top team like Barca, I loved his mm. answer saying, you know, yeah. Real Sociedad are a top team or whatever he said, something along yeah. those lines. Um, I like that guy so much that yeah. even when he got a yellow card in this game, I was like, <laughs> ah, I don't care. He, yeah. He's he's earned it. He's a good guy. I, I love I love the way he carries himself. I love the way he has this Real Sociedad team playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one of the, my biggest fear is like, one Premier League team just signs him one day, offers him. Nah, nah, he's not going. I no. hope so. Hope, no. hope not. Hope not. Maybe Spain one day, but I think he's like attached to Real Sociedad. Like he's no. Nah. Spain would be cool. Um, I think he would yeah. be a good option for Spain for sure. Um, okay. Did we? Did you want to go over anything that we missed, or we got it all? 
I think that's pretty much I think that's everything, yeah. I'll just go through some really, really quick things in maybe 15 seconds or less. I'll tell um, you. <laughs> there's no way I'm gonna actually keep it to 15 seconds or less, but but I'll try my best. Um sorry, that's already 15 seconds. <laughs> There was at halftime I I kind of had this weird feeling in my in my stomach like a little pit in my stomach that thought we're not going to win this game despite how well we're playing and it came true and there was even part of me that saw that we were conceding three or four chances in the second half and I was like is this going to slip away like horribly and uh, and then Carlos is just going to never play this way again and for, from now on just go lowest block possible there were they wrestlers that had like three or four real mm-hmm. chances in this game. I don't think they got off good shots. Kubo, as good of a game as he had, every mm-hmm. time he got it into a shooting position, he either had a really weak shot or didn't get a shot off at all. Yeah. One of those chances, I think, would have been called offside anyway. But I think the point stood that there were moments that we slipped defensively. And I also, just to point, we didn't talk about the subs too much. Well, I guess we did. Like just the idea of that we kind of lost the energy and some mm-hmm. of that control when when the subs came in. Uh, but I did like the fact that overall our attack was more balanced today. ESPN put out this thing in the second half where they were showing mm-hmm. what percentage of like the, our, the free kind of thirds, like the exactly, arrows. yeah, mm-hmm. and it was pretty even, like mm-hmm. basically across the the field. Uh, like left wing, right wing, and central channels, just to visualize it for anyone who's who doesn't know what we mean. But um, it was pretty even across those channels. And I think that helped with the chance creation today. It wasn't too left heavy. Although at times, you know, everything we did go through left, we also made it a point to get Fede involved on the right side or get Rodrigo involved on that side. So that that I think was good. Um I think actually we talked about everything. We didn't really talk about Benzema. Thought he was a little bit off still. He's still not the Benzema. I mean, some of us, some of his passing was actually good. Some of it really killed mm-hmm. our attacking momentum. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's clearly not 100%, but even 80% of Benzema sometimes still gives you like the goal last week in Bobao. And yeah, you know, and could have had assists today too. Yeah. So, um, yeah considering he's not 100% and we know it's only for the reason of coming back from injury and that he'll get there. Um, I don't think it's something to worry about. With each week, he should be sharper and uh, even while he's sharpening his tools, he's still doing quite a lot and scoring all the penalties. So, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'll let you go to sleep, <laughs> <laughs> which you won't do anyway, but um, get at least... Let you get back to whatever it is you're doing. Closer, um, closer, closer to sleep. Closer to sleep, yeah. Uh, Ewan, thanks for your time, my friend. I hope you're warming up no now, defrosting. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Ewan. No worries. Take care. Thanks for listening. And before we wrap it up here, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid and specifically to our $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more per month you not only 
get access to everything and not only get guaranteed responses to your questions, you also get a specific shout out at the podcast. So shout out to our $10 plus patrons as follows, Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Way Pairing, Tobias Royal Bacher, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samuel Justin, Samar Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, uh, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Moeller, Nick Ribeiro, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, Logan Stahl, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Khan P, Christian Toth, Krishna Costa, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Arnab Mukherjee, Armand Gashi, Armando L, Anirudh Singh, Ananya Kumar, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for being a part of this family. And Hala Marid.